0: We're going to be looking tonight at a verse in Psalm 69. You don't need to turn there. It's just one verse. I'll give a little bit of the context as we're going through. But the sermon is on uh, Christian zeal. I don't know if we've ever had a sermon on Christian zeal. Anyone remember? I guess all sermons are on Christian zeal. You you remember one? Who was it? It was me. Good Eight years ago, well then, brother, last week I don't know what I had to eat, so um, that's good, Isaiah, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, So I will read from verse 9, a verse quoted obviously in the New Testament, but one that finds its origin here in the Psalm of David. For zeal for your house has consumed me. And the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word and for this time to let it sink into our souls and bear fruit accordingly. We pray for good fruit and not bad fruit, for fruit that will lead to nourishment and not death. We pray that you will bless us now as hearers of the Word of God, and also doers of the Word of God. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, I know we've probably heard enough about the effects of the last few years of COVID and what it has done and so on and so forth, but I can't help but think as we're starting to, uh, it seems, get through it, and the reason I know that is because I have all these invitations happening again to weird and wonderful places like the Philippines. Uh, And then islands in the Philippines I've never heard of. Uh, I'll have to ask Marlene if it's safe to go there. Uh, And if it isn't, I may still go there. And uh, you start to see things somewhat go back to normal with life. But what I think we are still grasping as Christians is how out of shape we got. And anyone who's played sports or done uh, musical instruments know or even learned a language that if you don't use it, you lose it. Uh, If you stop running for two years after vigorous exercise and then you start up after two years, it is painful. Uh, It's difficult. It's not easy. So we have this problem in our lives right now that we have been sort of given an excuse, so to speak, to take it easy in the Christian faith, but not feel particularly guilty about the whole thing. So what are we to do? And maybe you have been in the situation where for the last few years you have sort of felt like you've been able to take your foot off the gas a little in your Christian life, and it's been okay because, hey, you weren't Allowed to go to church, you weren't forced to go to church, or Bible studies, or other things like that. And now you're having to gird up the loins of your mind again and say, well, I need to to get back into the groove, so to speak, because one thing is sure, it is easier to get out of the groove than to get into the groove. It is easier to get out of shape than into shape. That is our natural problem as human beings. So then I thought, well, we need a sermon on zeal, on Christian zeal. And that is the topic for tonight. Now, I wanted to give you a quote from someone, and you can guess the era and think about when this person may be speaking. He says, Are we willing to give in to all of the lukewarmness and degeneracy that has overspread us? Even the truly godly are dull and heavy in their religion. And many march on wearily in their appointed race, as if either the Lord had lost his glory or his promises to them, or they have lost their faith and hope in him. Is it not time to proclaim among the churches the message of Christ sent from heaven to the church of Laodicea, be zealous and repent? When do you think those words were written? Well, you would have to be a genius to know that they were written by a Puritan. Because if there was a time in the history of the church where there was perhaps a lot of zeal for religion, it was the Puritan era. And yet here is a Puritan writing that. But you could write that at any time. That could be someone pontificating on Facebook who's admittedly a little more eloquent than the usual. But that could have been someone last week it could be someone a hundred years ago it could be someone a thousand years ago the danger of lukewarmness the danger of losing our zeal and fervor for the lord and the things of the lord are an always present danger for god's people in the old testament in the new testament in the post testament era of the church of which we are part it is always a danger And yet, as we come back to the Scriptures, we are reminded by Christ, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, one of my personal life verses that I need to have burned into my soul daily, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Seek first, not second, not third, not fourth. Seek first, God and His kingdom comes first. That is why Jesus, speaking to the church at Laodicea, says, I love those whom I reprove, so be zealous. Be zealous, he says, and repent. There's a command to the people of God at Laodicea to be zealous. And God, speaking of His Messiah in Isaiah chapter 59, verse 17, said, He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on His head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped Himself in zeal as a cloak. Speaking of Christ, He is marked by zeal. He is marked by a zealousness that God commands and, approves. and so, in John chapter 2, at the clearing of the temple, the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will, what, be part of my life? Zeal for your house will be something that I hear a sermon on twice in eight years. Zeal for your house will be something that I think about as, well, there are some Christians a little uh, bit hot and heavy about things zeal for your house will consume me. Christ was consumed by zeal. He was marked as a zealous person. And Paul, in Titus chapter 2, speaks about how Christ gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. That we would be like Christ, consumed by zeal, marked by zeal. Now, perhaps you are saying, okay, I am convinced of that much. Maybe you say, Church of Laodicea, particular historical context, they were people who were wealthy and they needed a good kick in the backside, but that's not us. But you see here, this is the mark of every Christian, zealous for good works. But then you say, well, what is zeal? And it is appropriate that we should ask ourselves, what is zeal? The first thing to say about zeal is that we are all by nature zealous people. You are all zealous. It is built into your human fiber. You are a zealous person. You will find people everywhere with differing passions. You will find things that people are deeply passionate about. You will find people arguing over things. You can go down a street in Turkey and see elderly gentlemen going crazy at each other over perhaps who should be the next manager of their football team. You can go to London. You can go to Vancouver. People are zealous. People are passionate. You can look at Yale Law School students and you can find that they are zealous about things. And then you can go down the street to the ice cream store and find kids who are zealous about what the best flavor is. We are zealous people. We will find things to be passionate about, to care about. So the problem isn't that we are zealous. The problem is what are we zealous about? And that is where godly zeal becomes the hallmark of a Christian. Zeal has been called the fire of the soul. In another place, a Puritan said, zeal is an earnest desire and concern for all things pertaining to the glory of God and the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ among men. That is what godly zeal is. It's like a varnish. It does not add color, but gives it a gloss, whatever it is applied to. So, if you think about it, I had these leather soccer boots as a kid. They were called these Copa Mundials, and I really loved these. These are real leather, and when you got real leather, uh, it stretched so it lasted longer than boots today, which are just synthetic type of plastic and cost hundreds of dollars as much as uh, hockey boots, as far as I'm aware. And uh, what's remarkable about these black boots is that you had a black polish that you put on the black leather, but then there was this garnish you would put on, and when you finished, polishing your boots it looked like they were brand new and they glistened and they looked like a thing of beauty and it would last until the warm up and then they would be back to normal and then you would go home and you would varnish them back up again and zeal is like that with all of our graces it is the varnish upon the graces that we have it gives it a luster it gives it a beauty to what we do and It has been also said that zeal is like the flame that brings the water to boil. So if you want to think about your Christian life, think about you as a Christian without zeal is like pasta thrown into cold water. And that's really gross. Have you ever done that? Looked at pasta and you just sink it into the cold water and you just leave it there for five minutes. Go home, kids. Try this tonight. Ask your mom and your dad for some pasta. Put some cold water on and just let it sit. Give it five minutes, ten if you're feeling generous. Pick that pasta up and eat it and tell me what it tastes like. That's Christianity without zeal. It's gross. Christianity with zeal is whereby that flame brings life to it and makes it something that you want to digest. That is Christian zeal. And that is where the work of the Spirit comes into our Christianity to give our love a luster, to give our faith a luster, to give our hope a luster that it would not have ordinarily. If I can suggest reading anyone to you, uh, you don't often get... um, promotional material from the pulpit, but I really am a big fan of J.C. Ryle because he's so clear, so to the point. I promoted Lloyd-Jones earlier for his preaching, but I wouldn't suggest reading him, honestly. Uh, his Sermon on the Mount book, it just meanders and goes on and on and on. But you want something where you've got a little bit of time and need to get a blessing? Go to J.C. Ryle. And he has a great little thing on Christian zeal. He says, Zeal in religion is a burning desire to please God, to do His will and to advance His glory in the world in every possible way. It is a, it is a desire which no man feels by nature which the Spirit puts into the heart of every believer when they are converted, but which some believers feel so much more strongly than others that they alone deserve to be called zealous Christians. You should want to be called a zealous Christian. Now, are there counterfeit types of zeal? And the answer is yes. And we need to be aware of this because the New Testament especially goes to great lengths to teach us that there are counterfeits in terms of religious zeal. You think of the Pharisees. And Ryle continues by saying, there is such a thing as zeal from party spirit. It's quite possible for a man to be unwearied in promoting the interests of his own church or denomination, and yet to have no grace in his own heart to be ready to die for the peculiar opinions of his own section of Christians and yet to have no real love to Christ. Such was the zeal of the Pharisees. They compassed sea and land to make one proselyte. And when he was made, they made him what? Two-folds more a child of hell than themselves. You can be zealous for your church name or for a certain doctrine or for getting people to believe this great theology that you've come into contact with, but that may be actually divorced from a zeal to have people truly love the Lord. And I've seen this. And I'm not going to be one of those pastors who do the self-loathing, oh, us Reformed, we can do this. I used to do that back in the day. Now I've stopped doing it. It doesn't matter whether you're Reformed, whether you're Baptist, Pentecostal. It is in the heart of every Christian still to have this idea that we create a party spirit by winning people to doctrines rather than to Christ. And I've seen it with my own eyes. Counterfeit zeal. You read the story, we don't have time, of Jehu in 2 Kings chapter 10. He was zealous. He destroyed some of the idols, but then he didn't do other things that God commanded. He was involved in self-interest. Paul talks about those who have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. He says, avoid such people. There are zealous people in the church that you should avoid because they only have the appearance of godliness. There's also blind zeal. Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 10. He says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God. He actually says they have a zeal for God, speaking of his fellow Jews, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. If anybody knew what that type of zeal was, it was the Apostle Paul. He had zeal, but he had zeal for his own righteousness. In Acts chapter 22, he says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, brought up in this city, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are to this day. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. Paul was zealous, and he didn't stop being zealous, but now he was zealous according to knowledge. Now he was zealous according to godliness. Now he was zealous for the sake of Christ and not ultimately himself. And another Puritan, Samuel Ward, said, The devil has no better soldiers than these. But when their scales fall from their eyes and they come into God's tents, God has none like them. In other words, once that zeal that we all possess by nature becomes something that is driven by God and for God, those are his best soldiers. Just like Paul and just like you and I should be. In fact, Ward adds the true zealot whose fervency is in the spirit, not in show. It's in the spirit his fervency comes from, not in show. In substance, but not in circumstance. There are some people who will show zeal only when it suits them, only when there's a public eye upon them. Zeal for God and not for oneself. Zeal guided by the word and not mere emotions tempered with charity, not with bitterness. Such a man's worth cannot be set forth with the tongues of men and angels when someone has that type of zeal. Now there's also a type of selfish zeal. You look at the way Joab served David. It was very selfish. The Pharisees loved the praise that came from men rather than the praise that came from God. God-centered zeal is the only type of zeal. That is why in Psalm 69, which we read, we read, Zeal for your house has consumed me. It's for God's glory. It's for the worship of God that has consumed Christ and David. And this zeal, if you read the context of Psalm 69, this zeal will, in the company of the world, make you to be scorned. They will think you are peculiar. They will think that you are odd. They will insult you and mock you. When you look at the zealous person in Scripture, like David, like Christ, you will find a persecuted person. And when you look at a zealous person in the Scripture like David or Christ, you will find a persecuted person not only by the world, but especially sometimes by the church. You show me a zealous young person at school, in a Christian school, and I will find you a persecuted person at a Christian school. You find me a zealous young person at a public school, I will find you a persecuted person at a public school. You find me a zealous young person even amidst their own family members, when the others are not, I will find you a persecuted member of their own family. That is what Christian zeal does. It consumes you for God's glory, and that is the most convicting thing to people who are not, is someone who is truly concerned for God's glory. And that is why we need biblical zeal. Baxter says to love God without zeal is not to love Him. Because it is not loving Him as God. In other words, if you really love God, you will necessarily be zealous for God. Because that is the true God. And that true God will demand of you that type of zeal. You can't really know God and not then be zealous for God. Because if you really know God, you will be zealous for Him. I really liked reading about how zeal is like a fire. In the chimney, it's one of the best servants. But out of the chimney, it is one of the worst masters. And when you have biblical zeal for God's glory, it's like the chimney where the fire serves its proper purpose, where it is a blessing and not a curse. But we all know that zeal without a chimney, so to speak, a fire that is let loose, In a house can cause untold ruin. It must be guided by biblical principles. It must be by the Spirit. It must be for God's glory. And incidentally, the Pharisees did not know the truth. They did not know God's Word. As I've preached before, the question Christ most asked to these Pharisees and religious leaders was Have you not read? So we cannot say, oh, they were zealous for God's Word. They weren't. They didn't know God's Word. They were zealous for their traditions, but not God's Word. Now, what type of zeal should we type to show? Well, we should show some self-reforming zeal. Now, what do I mean by self-reforming zeal? True zeal, as again one of the author puts it, casts the first stone at ourselves. It plucks the beam out of our own eyes. If you want to know that your zeal is godly zeal, it will be a humble zeal. It will be a self-reflecting zeal. It will be a zeal that first says, where am I in error? Where do I need to repent before you are looking for others to be stirred up to do likewise? Richard Greenham, one of the Puritans, said, It has been a fearful note of hypocrites and such as have fallen from the living God that they have waded very deeply into other men's possessions and gored very bloodily into the consciences of others who never once purged their own unclean sinks at home nor drew one drop of blood out of their own hearts. People can be very zealous for the godliness of others at the expense of themselves. True zeal for God's glory will also be a zeal for your own humility and repentance. True zeal is what shall I render to the Lord? How shall I be made right first with the Lord before others can be made right? And what happens when we lose this zeal? We allow things to grow cold we would never have allowed in our past. We permit things into our hearts we used to shut out. We meditate upon things that we used to have a holy horror for. What happens in the Christian life is sometimes our consciences get bludgeoned by time, by a lack of concern for the things of God, and we start to allow ourselves things that we would never have allowed Earlier in our Christian life, have you ever noticed that about yourself or sometimes about those you love? They start off well, but then they start to allow so many things into their life you would never dream they would have allowed. It even has to do with things like church attendance, which is why I come back to the introduction. There are occasions now where people, instead of going to church, will just simply say, I'll watch it at home. You are sinning if you watch it at home without a medical reason or another normal reason. I'm not trying to say that, uh, please don't misunderstand me, there are not reasons. We've always had those reasons. As long as I've been at this church, we have never gone after people for missing church a couple of times. That's not the issue. My issue is when you think, well, there's no substantial difference between public worship and staying at home. Because how can you stir one another up to good works? How can you stir one another up and comfort and encourage one another up if you are not together? And so we need to recapture our zeal for God's house, because that's specifically what consumed David and what consumed Christ. Bates, another. Puritan said, We should with tears of confusion remember the disparity between our zealous beginnings and slack prosecution in religion. We should blush with shame and tremble with fear at the strange decay of grace and remember ourselves and reinforce our will to proceed with vigorous constancy I know that's a little difficult to understand on a Sunday night, but what he's saying is simply this. Remember the zeal that you once had and try to recapture that and improve upon it. It's easy to grow cold. It's easy to allow the foot to go off the gas and put on the brakes in the Christian life. I tell you that myself. As a minister, it's easy to do that. As an elder, as a deacon, as a regular member, it's easy to fall down. It's easy to slip away. And we have to recapture zeal. Now, how do we recapture this zeal? Maybe you're actually thinking, yeah, this is me right now. There could be even two people here going, this is me. I might as well just stand up and say, all right, Mark, why are you preaching to me? You know, some of you have done that in the past. You've wrote to me and says, listen, Pastor Mark, you're a good guy. I'm a, you know, I just want to know, were you preaching to me? I used to get those emails. And if you write me that email on Monday, I'm going to say yes. <laughs> and I'll let you know that I'm actually saying yes, but I will put P.S. I've also preached this to myself with a clear conscience. How do we recapture the zeal? One of the first things you can do is pray and ask for zeal. Imagine God saying no to that prayer. There's some things I'm pretty sure he's going to say no to in when you pray. Has he not? But I really doubt... Based upon everything I read in God's Word, He's going to say no when you ask Him to be more zealous for the things of God. Zealous for the things He wants you to be zealous about and to toss aside the things that you are zealous about that are keeping you from being zealous about the things you should be. So there's a negative side and a positive side. You may wish to say, and this is going to cost you perhaps, Lord, take away my zeal for the things that are keeping me from being zealous for the things I should be. That is the painful side. But you will find that when you become zealous for the things of God, it will actually be glorious. Now, this love of God is peculiarly the work of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, the way to get it is to earnestly pray. And as again, I quote to you, we are no more able to love the Lord then cold water is able to heat itself so the holy spirit must breed that fire of love in us it must be kindled from heaven or else we shall never have it james says you do not have because you do not ask and you ask with wrong motives if you go to the lord asking to be zealous for the things of god that is a good motive to be first conscientious about the means of grace, the Lord's Supper, the worship with God's people, prayer, the coals that lie together. I love the way the Puritans bring these illustrations. The coals that lie together, you see how they glow and are fired. One of the things I like about South Africa over Canada is when there's a barbecue, we call it a braai, and they always use the coals. Here it's always the propane, you know, and you get that propane smell, and then the propane always runs out because I forgot to turn the propane tank off all the time, and Barb says, hey, have you turned the propane off? And I go, no, and I go out there, and the flames are burning six hours later. But... In Africa, you get that smell. Some of you must know the smell of the coals and it burns and it just has this much more authentic, you know, that's a word I don't like a lot, but authentic smell. Well, the coals that lie together in the hearth, you see how they glow and are fired while the little coals that fall away and are separate from their company, are black without fire. You take all of those coals that are glowing and you just take one of them and say, you know what? Here you go, little Christian. I'm going to let you have some nice solitude on your own. You can grow in the Lord on your own. You can live the Christian life on your own. I'll just take you aside and put you here. And then just watch what happens to that little Christian. They die out. But not when you keep them together. If you ever desire to be zealous, make much of the fellowship of the saints. And that is why recently I've been praying that our hospitality will increase now, that your excuses are gone. They're gone. There's no more excuses. All of you conscientious people, they're done. You need to be hospitable now. And if you need to meet at a park to be hospitable, fine, but there's no excuses. And you will find it warms your spirit. Find ways to be hospitable. You've got to think about it. How can I see people? How can I be with people? Yesterday, Josh had a soccer game in Richmond at four. I thought, oh, perfect. Magda lives in Richmond. Magda, I'm coming over. Puts on a nice spread. We have some fellowship. She says, I miss you. I say, I miss you too. Why don't you come move in with us and then you can see us more often. Who knows? She might take me up on that option. That'd be horrifying, but... <laughs> I made the offer. <laughs> the point is, you do not have because you do not ask. You do not have fellowship because you're not looking for it. Zealous for prayer, zealous for church, zealous for God's people. And look at Christ's own zeal. Because zeal for your house will consume me. But what is the households of God? It is also the people of God. Zeal for your house incorporates you and me. Zeal for your people, these sinners will consume me. Christ was zealous for the Father's glory, but Christ was also zealous for you and for me. And he was zealous to do whatever it took to build that house into the glorious house that it is. The pillar and foundation of God. And if that meant humiliation and agony and suffering and ultimately the cross, Christ was zealous for the cross because it meant zealousness for his father's house. And ultimately a house he would inhabit if christ can be zealous to go to the cross for you and for me how can we not ask for that same zeal to be poured into our hearts so that we are zealous for the things of god and for the people of god and if you have any ounce of the holy spirit in you sitting here tonight there should be some sense some small sense maybe to greater or lesser degrees in which you say yes That's me. I need to be more zealous. If anyone thinks they are too zealous, it is likely they do not know what true Christian zealousness is and what zeal for God's house really means. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word and for Christ who is one that we need to not only look to for forgiveness but also imitate in his example. May we be zealous for the things he was zealous for and may we rid ourselves of those things that keep us from true zeal for your kingdom and your glory and your honor. Amen.